Welcome to this month's special programming series, Spotlight on Neurology and Psychiatry, on ReachMD XM157. SSRIs are among the most common medications prescribed in the world. What have we learned since Prozac was first introduced in 1987? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today is Dr. Stephen Ellen. Dr. Ellen is Assistant Professor of Psychiatry at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. He is also Medical Director and Senior Staff Psychiatrist of the Counseling Center of Nashua in Nashua, New Hampshire, the largest private group practice in New England. Dr. Ellen is widely recognized as one of the premier physician educators in the country. Welcome to ReachMD, Steve. Thank you, Leslie. Now, Steve, what are your thoughts about the SSRIs? Well, those of us that have been in practice for 20 years or so, we really came of age in the era of the SSRIs, and they have been the primary antidepressant out there. But I think what a lot of us who are not over the age of 50 may not be aware of is that for the first 30 years that we used medications to treat depression, we actually used dual-mechanism antidepressants, or SNRIs. They happen to have been called tricyclics. But almost every tricyclic was a dual-mechanism antidepressant, mobilizing both serotonin and norepinephrine. Unfortunately, the tricyclics were accidental molecules. They were not initially developed for the use of depression, I believe. They were being researched for possible cardiovascular use, but they turned out to have this benefit on behavior in both animal and then, of course, in human models. But because they were older, somewhat accidental medications, they were kind of dirty drugs. They were shaped in such a way that they didn't just gum up the works and paralyze the reuptake of these serotonin and norepinephrine transport pumps. But there were inevitably pieces of the tricyclics that fit into other pieces of the brain, other receptor sites, and, and these were all liabilities. They blocked uh, H1 receptors, a lot of antihistaminic sedation, weight gain. They blocked the muscarinic cholinergic receptor, a lot of anticholinergic dry mouth, constipation, blurry vision. They blocked what's called the alpha-adrenergic receptor, and they induced a lot of orthostatic hypotension. And in high concentrations, they had this terrible tendency to induce arrhythmias, and the arrhythmogenicity was you know, nobody's favorite side effect. And about 20 years ago, as I mentioned, the first SSRI came out, almost exactly 20 years ago, 1987, late 87, with Prozac. And these are the drugs, as I mentioned, we've come of age within. But I think there's three reasons why they became so prominent and, and why they represent something on the order of 80 to 85% of all the antidepressants prescribed in this country. Issue number one is that they were the first antidepressant you couldn't easily kill yourself with. And I think that changed everything. Suddenly, all these psychiatrists that were analysts, therapists, administrators could more comfortably become prescribers again. I think that all of the patients that on their dying breath would never see a psychiatrist then and now were always going to their primary care doctors, their pediatricians, their OBGYNs. And suddenly, these specialists had a class of medication with much higher safety index, and they became comfortable with that. I think issue number two is tolerability. They were much easier to manage than the tricyclics. And I think the third issue is marketing. Uh, I know you remember, Leslie, I certainly still experience almost every day in the office, remarkable degree of marketing of the SSRIs. That really works. You know, marketing is effective. That's why we drink Coke and Pepsi. When's the last time you drank an RC? <laughs> Very powerful. 
And then about 10 years ago with Effexor XR, and then about four years ago with Cymbalta, we kind of got into the era of the modern dual mechanism agents. And, and these are not accidental molecules. These are designer drugs. And by that, I mean they were designed by computer modeling, molecular biologists, very carefully to be a very precise shape. And the shape of the modern dual mechanisms are such that they, you know, gum up the works, as I say. They paralyze the reuptake pumps for serotonin and norepinephrine. But they had no piece of the molecule that would fit tightly into the receptors that tended to cause all the liabilities of those older, dirtier dual mechanisms, the tricyclics, the, the modern duals, the Effexor XR, the Cymbalta, tend not to be antihistaminic, anticholinergic, anti-alpha adrenergic, and they don't promote arrhythmias in high concentrations. Sounds well and good. I think the problem with all of this is that given the marketing and the three issues I mentioned about why SSRIs have become so prominent, I think that there are a lot of clinicians out there that really believe that serotonin is all you need to treat depression. And I've even had doctors say to me, you know, I tell my patients that they're depressed because they have a deficit of serotonin. And I always point out that's like saying you've got a headache because you have a deficit of aspirin. <laughs> There's not clinical data to support that point of view. I think it's way too oversimplified. Why is it that drugs that don't mobilize the slightest bit of serotonin work comparably to the SSRIs? Drugs like Welbutrin, right? norepinephrine, some dopamine, the older tricyclics that were prominently noradrenergic like dizipramine. It, it turns out that a lot of doctors will, even psychiatrists, I, 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 a lot of colleagues that do this, patient comes in, complains of anything in the broad symptom clusters that serotonin is good at managing, which, of course, is, is mood and anxiety. I mean, every SSRI is approved for depression and then a variety of anxiety disorders, each one of them. So patient comes in, some anxiety, some depression, often gets handed an SSRI. And then when that patient comes back, frequently the only thing that clinician has the time to assess or that clinician has the inclination or the comfort level or just the experience in assessing, ends up being mood and anxiety. And when the patient comes back, having been given a drug that mobilizes serotonin, SSRI, and then only really being assessed for a variety of reasons for how they're doing with mood and anxiety, the SSRIs uh, tend to really appear to be pretty good. Unfortunately, you know, there's, I think, a dark, dirty secret in American psychopharmacology. As, as provocative as that sounds, there's data to back it up. Uh, Andy Nuremberg, a psychiatrist at Harvard, did this study in the Mass General Outpatient Clinic that was published in the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry in 1999. And, and what he basically did is he took 215 patients, put them all on the mother of all SSRIs, Prozac, got them better, and then interestingly took those who really only had good signs of improvement and measured how many of them had residual symptoms, and 80% of them did. Now, this might surprise folks outside of psychiatry, within psychiatry. Not so surprising. He went on to measure what were the top nine residual symptoms that these patients experienced. Mood and anxiety didn't even make the top five. Hmm. It was a SSRI. Did a pretty good job with mood and anxiety, but the top five common residual symptoms percentage-wise in these real-world patients put on an SSRI and actually feeling better were ongoing complaints of sleep disorders or insomnia, energy or fatigue, concentration, motivation, flatness or apathy. 
And, and that is my reality as a psychopharmacologist. I mean, I'll take mood and anxiety any day. I don't have that much trouble treating mood and anxiety. What I struggle with is the patient I saw last week who said, you know, Doc, I was crying all the time. My primary care doctor put me on an SSRI, and I'm, I'm not crying the way I was. I, I really am feeling better. But, you know, my, my brain just doesn't work the same way it did before I got depressed, before I got put on an SSRI, or patients I've seen just in the last month who have said that their life has turned around, they're functioning again, but, but something's missing. Because I always ask what's missing. And they say, I just don't have to get up and go, you know, the oomph, the energy, the interest. Or the patient who says, I was worrying about every single thing, every moment of every day, and that SSRI really helped me. But I think it may have gone too far because now I don't really give a, a crap about anything at all. It's just kind of a flattening, a, a deadening, something we believe is related to downregulation of, of dopamine. If you're just joining our discussion, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Stephen Ellen. We are discussing antidepressant treatment, especially SSRIs. Steve, so it sounds to me like you're suggesting that we really should stick with a dual mechanism and not be so focused on serotonin only. In some ways, the difference isn't as large as some of the folks that market the dual mechanism drugs would like us to believe. But in other regards, a small difference may matter quite a bit. As we've been discussing, serotonin does a real good job with mood and anxiety, but the symptoms that are left over are often in the realm of energy, concentration, motivation, what we call executive function. And we know from clinical experience that drugs that hit norepinephrine also will do a better job with those residual symptoms. Um, you know, the only drugs that really have good data, even if it's not first or second line, to treat things like ADHD are drugs that mobilize norepinephrine, raboxetine, stratera, welbutrin, dizipramine. And we know that they can have some better effect on energy or motivation. There are roughly 51 studies, at least as of last year, there were 51 studies that compared the remission rate of SSRIs versus the dual mechanism SNRIs. And it really doesn't matter which study you look at. As long as they are put together, uh, there have been four peer-reviewed, published, meta or pooled analyses of these. And that allows a lot of kind of statistical reality to come to the forefront that might be lost in a single study or two or three studies. And the dual mechanism drugs are roughly 10% better at bringing about a remission. It doesn't matter if it's the seven you know, studies on tricyclics, the Danish University Antidepressant Group, or uh, Wyeth sponsored or was involved in capturing about 37 studies, and Symbolt has got five or six, and Remeron has three, and there's some European... It doesn't matter which dual mechanism drug you look at. I think some of the companies that market one dual versus another wish there was a difference, but there really isn't. But what is different is the remission on the dual versus the single. And roughly, very roughly, the remission you know, six to eight weeks out is about 45% on the dual, about 35% on the SSRI, about 25% on the placebo. may not sound like much, 45 versus 35 and this is why I think a lot of clinicians say, I don't notice any difference, because you'd literally have to treat a lot of patients to notice one patient being in a better position. You could put 10 patients on a dual mechanism antidepressant. You can put another 10 patients on an SSRI. The 10 that you put on the dual, maybe four or five are in remission, and the 10 that you put on the SSRI, three or four are in remission. It's kind of a small number to capture in clinical practice. I really think that the use of dual mechanism agents 
in psychiatry captures what primary care doctors have done for years in their major illnesses like hypertension, diabetes, COPD, congestive heart failure, which is to attack it with multiple modalities. The only way to do that in psychiatry with depression is to hit both serotonin and norepinephrine. It's the model of care for major illnesses outside of psychiatry. I think we've lost something since we took norepinephrine out of the mix. Well, thanks to our guest, Dr. Stephen Ellen, we've been discussing the realities and limitations of SSRI treatment of depression. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and your comments, so please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening. Listen all month as ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals, features a special series, Spotlight on Neurology and Psychiatry.